This is Shakespeare Closely Read. I'm your host, Mark Naftal. In this podcast, I read the works of William Shakespeare and other authors in the public domain. In addition to reading these works in their entirety, I will stop frequently to comment on the text, its meaning, and lessons to be drawn. This is a place for lovers of Shakespeare's words, words, words. I delight in the beauty of his language and believe through this beauty we can find truth and how to live a virtuous life. I hope this podcast can help students understand Shakespeare better and how to appreciate his sometimes difficult language. Maybe you can use it to help you write papers or study for tests. Drop me an email at shakespeareclosely at gmail.com if you have questions or would like some help. Let us begin. Last week, we began the play, Scene 1, Act 1, where the, um, the ghost entered, and we saw the reaction of Hamlet's friend Horatio and others to the ghost, their attempts to question it, and their speculation on what might be going on. We also got some background on what was going on in Denmark, the conflict with the Kingdom of Norway, um, the death of Hamlet's father, Hamlet, is referenced, as well as the situation in Norway with the death of the old king, Fortinbras, and his son, Fortinbras, as well. So let us now begin Act 1, Scene 2, begins Elsinore, a room of state in the castle. I heard once stage directions from an audiobook version that where John Gielgud was Hamlet, and in that version, It's explicitly stated that Hamlet was alone, dressed in black, and that his claim to the crown had been denied by the council. Now, that is not in the official staging notes from uh, from Shakespeare's time. Nevertheless, I agree with this, and I think it's a very important comment on what was going on. Uh, Hamlet should have been declared the king. As we'll find his age, he was probably 30 years old. Obviously, he was old enough to shoulder the responsibility of being the king. Nevertheless, his claim had been overturned in favor of his uncle Claudius, who we find out later actually murdered the previous king. I also speculate that Polonius might have had a role in this. Uh, Polonius was uh, chief courtier, if you will. Um, to King Claudius, and uh, he probably expected some reward in perhaps helping to engineer the council with this. Now, we have the idea of monarchy in the time of uh, the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, and divine right it just automatically was passed down from father to son. That was not necessarily the case, particularly in Northern European countries um, with their Germanic or a Scandinavian tradition. Uh, The council, the parliament, whatever the governing body was, uh, had the official formal role of selecting the king, and they had to go along uh, with any sort of inheritance. So that's important to keep in mind as we we are now introduced to uh, more important characters in the play and see a glimpse of some of the political maneuverings that are going on in the background. Flourish. Enter Claudius, king of Denmark, Gertrude, the queen, Hamlet, Polonius, Laertes, and his sister Ophelia. 
Voltamon, Cornelius, Lord's attendant. Though yet of Hamlet our dear brother's death, the memory be green, and that it us befitted to bear our hearts in grief, and our whole kingdom to be contracted in one brow of woe. Yet so far hath discretion fought with nature, that we with wisest sorrow think on him, together with remembrance of ourselves. Therefore our sometime sister, now our queen, the imperial jointress to our warlike state, have we, as twere, with a defeated joy, with an auspicious and drooping eye, with mirth in funeral and with dirge in marriage, an equal scale weighing delight and dole, taken to wife. Okay, let's look at this a little bit closer. The memory is green of um, the dear Hamlet's uh, brother's death. Um, green means that it's uh, it's grown up. It's still, or excuse me, it's not grown up. It's brand new. It's like a, like a shoot. And we're going to hear more about this word green later on. Uh, to bear our hearts in grief, whole kingdom to be contracted in one brow of woe. See, that's the way it should be. It's a unified. It's a oneness. But then he almost immediately diverges from that. Discretion fights with nature. Um, now, nature, of course, we'll hear more about that. This is the natural grief that um, uh, children bear when their parents die, also with a kingdom, uh, who is uh, the king is a type of a father. But discretion, well, why is it fighting with nature? What discretion is he talking about that um, other than his own desire um, to move ahead, he's of course he's not really mournful at all um, at the death of King Hamlet, since he was the one who murdered him. Okay, wisest sorrow. Um, we have a mixture there, uh, being wise and in sorrow, not exactly opposites, uh, but we're going to see some more opposites here. Uh, remembrance of ourselves, sometimes sister, now our queen. Uh, we have a showing of the incestuous relationship there that uh, under the law, Gertrude was considered his sister, and now he's taken her to wife. The imperial jointress to this warlike state. Again, we see this, this jointness, and whether it's in frame, whether it's unified or not. Uh, and we see many more images here of the, uh, the out-of-joint nature of it. He calls it a defeated joy, an auspicious and a drooping eye, mirth in funeral, dirge in marriage. These are all un unlike things. You shouldn't be sorrowful when you when you go to marriage. You should be joyful. And with mirth in funeral, now he might think it's funny, uh, but it's not something um that uh, that one should should do equal scale weighing delight and dull it's hardly equal um it's it's out of joint it's uh, discordant so something is wrong with the state taken to wife nor have we here in bard your better wisdom okay better wisdom sounds a little bit like that uh, wisest sorrow as well I'm probably picking up on that 
which have freely gone with this fare along. Now, this could be the reference um, to what I mentioned in the introduction, that the council uh, went along with uh, declaring Claudius to be king rather than young Hamlet. For all our thanks, now follows that, that you know, young Fortinbras holding, and that's the, the new uh, prince of Norway, holding a weak supposal of our worth, or thinking by our late dear brother's death, our state to be disjoint and out of frame. Of course, Claudius, just a few lines up above, uh, said that it was disjoint and out of frame. So uh, Fortinbras would have been right um, in, in supposing that. Uh, Fortinbras is frequently held up as a foil or a comparison uh, with how a prince should behave. And Hamlet himself will say that later on. Colleague with this dream of his advantage, he hath not failed to pester us with message, importing the surrender of those lands lost by his father with all bounds of law to our most valiant brother. Now, this is what we heard about before, the single combat bet uh, that they had made and that uh, Hamlet, the old king, had won. <clears throat> so much for him. Uh, and I've seen it uh, staged before where he takes a piece of paper, which uh, uh, is, is Fortinbras is importuning, demanding the land, and Claudius throws it to the ground and physically uh, steps on it. Now for ourselves and for this time of meeting, this much the business is. We have here written Norway, uncle of young Fortinbras. Again, we see an uncle having taken over. Uh, for his um, for the rightful heir, um, Norway and Denmark in, are, are in an identical situation, except um, of course that, that old Fortinbras was not not killed um, by his brother, who impotent and bedrid. That's the new king of Norway. Uh, he's old. He's impotent. He's bedrid. Doesn't sound like the good a good choice for a king. Nevertheless, there he is. Scarcely hears of this his nephew's purpose, to suppress his further gate herein, in that the levies, the lists, and full proportions are all made out of his subject. And we here dispatched you, good Cornelius, and you, Voltamon, for bearers of this greeting to old Norway, giving to you no further personal power to business with the king, more than the scope of these dilated articles allow. Farewell, and let your haste commend your duty. Um, now, this is a dispatching of diplomats and uh, the usual way this was done to exactly lay out what would be the authority uh, of the diplomats. And they reply, in that and all things, we will show you our duty. We doubt it nothing. Hardly farewell. Exempt Voltamon and Cornelius. And now, Laertes, what's the news with you? You told us of some suit. What is Laertes? You cannot speak of reason to the Dane and lose your voice. Uh, that sounds like it might be a proverb there of some sort. Huh? You cannot speak of reason to the Dane and lose your voice. Um, the idea of the voice here, we're going to hear a little bit more about that. What's what's thou beg, Laertes, that should not be my offer, not thy asking? The head is not more native to the heart, the hand more instrumental to the mouth. Then is the throne of Denmark to thy father. 
Okay, the father is Polonius, and um, as we speculated earlier, Polonius, Polonius uh, might have been instrumental in getting Claudius um, to the throne, though there's no real indication uh, that uh, Polonius was directly involved uh, in the murder. Uh, also, that's the hand more instrumental to the mouth. Uh, the image there is that if um, uh, someone speaks, then then it will be done. The head is not more native to the heart. It's a bit confused, though, and it's not really sure who the various body parts there. The king should be um, the head, but then that would make in the in the comparison would make Polonius to be the heart and the hand to follow the previous image then would also be the king instrumental that's an instrument it's a tool um, to the mouth and in that um, it makes it sound like Polonius is actually giving the orders that he's the mouth and the king is the one hand um, ha uh, fulfilling his orders uh, that the image then follows there with the throne of Denmark which would then follow with the head, the hand, and uh, then the throne to thy father. So in the image there, then Polonius would be the heart and the mouth, um, which is actually a flipping of sort of how it should be. What wouldst thou have, Laertes? My dread lord. Um, dread is a rather interesting image there as well. Uh, it can connote some fear uh, on the part of, uh, of those who, who use it like that Laertes is, is in dread of this. It, it could just be a polite expression, but there might be more to that. You're leaving favor to return to France, from which, though willingly, I came to Denmark to show my duty in your coronation. Yet now I must confess, that duty done, my thoughts and wishes bend again towards France, and bow them to your gracious leave and pardon. Um, Laertes said that he came to Denmark for the coronation. He does not mention the funeral of the old king. We'll see later Horatio um, says that he came for the funeral. Uh, Laertes is the son of a courtier and uh, himself seems to be aspiring towards that, that position. And this could be some flattery um, towards uh, Cornelius. Have you your father's leave? What says Polonius? He hath, my lord, wrung from me my slow leave by laborsome petition, and at last upon his will I sealed my hard consent. I do, you I do beseech you, give him leave to go. Uh, we're going to see how wordy uh, Polonius is. This is just a little hint um, of that. So at any rate, Polonius is okay with uh, Laertes going back to France. Take thy fair hour, Laertes, time be thine. And thy best grace is spended at thy will. So he lets Laertes go. We're going to see he's not quite so generous uh, with Hamlet. But now, my cousin Hamlet and my son. Okay, here we hear Hamlet speak. 
a little more than kin and less than kind. Now that's a famous line, and uh, more than kin is he calls him his son, and less than kind. Uh, kind can mean a type of something. It also probably has the obvious double meaning there that uh, Cornelius is not very kind, actually, um, to, to Hamlet. Uh, though kind could also refer to uh, a general family relationship of cousin, um, which, of course, they were they were cousins or, or um, uncle, nephew, a general family, yes, but he is not his son. How is it that the clouds still hang on you? Not so, my lord. I am too much in the sun. Okay, that is spelled S-U-N, but it has a play on on the king referring to him a few lines before as son, S-O-N. He is too much in the sun. Um, that is that... Uh, uh, Cornelius is calling him, uh, excuse me, Claudius. I've been saying Cornelius, Claudius. Um, he is too much. He's calling him a son. His actual father, of course, is dead. So he's like two men's sons. So it's too much in the son. Good Hamlet. This is the queen speaking. Good Hamlet. Cast thy knighted color off. Now, knighted is spelled like the knight because he's wearing black. Um, knighted also, though, could mean a sir, you know, a, uh, a knight, as in the knight in the court. Thy knighted color off. And let thine eye look like a friend on Denmark. Uh, we see there the king being referred to as the country itself. Do not forever with veiled lids Seek for thy noble father in the dust. Uh, that is Hamlet's going about with downcast eyes. Thou knowest, tis common. All that lives must die, passing through nature to eternity. Now, common there just means that um, everyone is going to die. Aye, madam, it is common. If it be, why seems it so particular with thee? Seems, madam, nay, it is. I know not seems. Um, now, Hamlet later will be pretending a great deal, but he's protesting here, and I feel it's true, um, that, uh, in fact, uh, he's not play-acting. Um, he's very much grieved by his father's death. Tis not alone my inky cloak, good mother. That is, he's wearing black. Ink is black here. Nor customary suits of solemn black. Nor windy suspiration of forced breath. That is, he's going about sighing. He's uh, remembering his grief. No, nor the fruitful river in the eye. Uh, that is, he's crying. Nor the de dejected behavior of the visage. That's his, how his face looks. Together with all forms, moods, shapes of grief that can denote me truly, these and did seem, for they are actions that a man might play. Okay, he's going to later on, he will be play acting, but he's not here. But the, what he described above is a man might play, uh, might pretend to be uh, full of grief, but he really is. But I have that within that passes show. These but the trappings and the suits of woe. 
uh, trappings and suits. Um, that means sort of how one looks and, and suits. Um, this refers to uh, someone pressing a suit like a lawsuit or, or a lover uh, pressing his, uh, his, his case on, on his lover. King replies, "'Tis sweet and commendable in your nature, Hamlet, to give these mourning duties to your father. But you must know your father lost a father. That father lost, lost his. And the survivor bound in filial oblation for some term to do obsequious sorrow, that is, uh, subservient. But to persevere in obstinate condolement is a course of impious stubbornness, Tis unmanly grief. It shows a will most incorrect to heaven, a heart unfortified, a mind impatient, an understanding simple and unschooled. Uh, now, the will most incorrect to heaven, in fact, is, is not correct, um, but it may be incorrect to, uh, to the king here. Uh, he's, the, uh, Claudius seems to be comparing himself uh, to heaven, in fact, there. For what we know must be, and is as common for, the, for as any, the most vulgar thing to sense. Why should we, in our peevish opposition, take it to heart? Fie, tis a fault to heaven, a fault to the dead, a fault to nature. To reason most absurd, whose common theme is death of fathers, and who still hath cried from the first course, that's the corpse, till he that died today, this must be so. Um, now, Claudius there uh, is downplaying uh, the seriousness of a death of father. Uh, for the first corpse, um, that would be Cain. Uh, who slew his brother Abel, and it could very well be a reference to uh, um, Claudius' own murder of his brother. Uh, there, this must be so. We pray you throw to earth this unprevailing woe and think on us as of a father. Okay, he's just uh, almost inviting Hamlet to kill him there because he talks about the death of fathers again and again. Uh, just prior to that. For let the world take note, you are the most immediate to our throne, and with no less nobility of love than that which dearest father bears his son do I impart towards you. For your intent of going back to Wittenberg, it is most retrograde to our desire. Um, okay, there again, let Laertes go freely. Hamlet is not to be let go. And we beseech you, bends you to remain here in the cheer and comfort of our eye. Um, and that harkens back a little bit to the image earlier of the of one eye auspicious and one drooping. That's one up and one down. And here it's a cheer and comfort of our eye, but he's already claimed above that, um, that his eyes are rather disjoint. Our chiefest courtier, cousin, and our son, let not thy mother lose her prayers, Hamlet. I pray thee, stay with us. Go not to Wittenberg. I shall in all my best obey you, madam. Why, tis a loving and a fair reply. Be as ourself in Denmark, madam, come. 
This gentle and unforced accord of Hamlet sits smiling to my heart. In grace whereof, no jocund health that Denmark drinks today, but the great cannon to the clouds shall tell, and the king's rouse the heavens shall bruit again. We're speaking earthly thunder. Come away. Okay, uh, gentle and unforced. Uh, there again, we have a little bit of a mixed image there. Uh, smiling to my heart when, um, you know, there still should be in mourning. Um, now, at the end, he says that he's going to, every drink he does, he's going to have a cannon um, uh, salute as well. He have a cannon set off. Flourish, exempt all but Hamlet. Okay, this is our first great soliloquy of Hamlet. I'm going to read it its entirety, and we may have time to, to go back through it as well. Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. Or that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh, God, God, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seems to me all the uses of this world. Fie on it, a fie, tis an unweeded garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature possess it merely. That it should come to this, but two months dead, nay, not so much, not two. So excellent a king that was to this Hyperion to a satyr, so loving to my mother that he might not be tamed the winds of heaven visit her face too roughly. Heaven and earth must I remember why she would hang on him as if increase of appetite had grown by what it fed on. And yet within a month, I mean, I think on it, frailty, thy name is woman. A little month, or ere those shoes were old, with which she followed my forefather's body, like Nero be all tears. Why, she, even she, oh God, a beast that wants discourse of reason would have mourned longer, married with my uncle, my father's brother, but no more like my father than I to Hercules within a month, ere yet the salt of most unrighteous tears had left the flushing in her gallant eyes. She married, oh, most wicked speed, to post with such dexterity to incestuous sheets. It is not, nor it cannot come to good, but break my heart, for I must hold my tongue. Okay. He starts off his speech with an image of that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, thaw and reserve itself into a dew. Um, this, he compares himself to a piece of ice um, that would melt, that it would thaw, that it would evaporate and resolve itself into a do, in other words, into into nothingness. Also, there's a nice pun at the end there, a dew, spelled A, another word, D-E-W, and the French, adieu, goodbye. Um, everlasting had not fixed his canon. That's the law against self-slaughter, but also it's a canon, uh, like we heard in uh, in. Claudius's last speech of the canon he's going to have set off every time he has a drink. Um, the canon is fixed against self-slaughter. How weary, stale, fat, flat, and unprofitable the uses of the world. Unguard, an unweeded garden that grows to seed. Things rank and gross in nature. That's Denmark. It's being overrun with rottenness. 
Um, and then he talks about later on there that um, beast that wants discourse of reason. That's uh, man is the reason endowed beast in Aristotle's uh, phraseology. So we heard before uh, Claudius claiming that it was a sin to nature to mourn. Hamlet replies, no, even an animal would have mourned longer um, than she. And he's just overcome that his, his mother, who seemed to love his father so much, um, had, had married with Claudius, father's brother, but no more like him than he is to Hercules. Uh, this has somewhat led to the thinking that Hamlet is sort of thin, frail. Um, this is sometimes played as what I call the wimpy Hamlet, um, that he compares himself uh, to Hercules, that he's no Hercules. And, and his father also um, was, was, was so great, and his uncle was, is so poor. Um, she married, and this is, I like this line, wicked speed to post with such dexterity to incestuous sheets. Some good internal rhyme there. Cannot good, good to good break my heart, for I must hold my tongue. He resolves to be silent um, about it. And this is where then the friends come in and he hears about the ghost. Now, we didn't get through Act 1, Scene 2 this time, but there's a lot there. So next episode, we'll pick up, we'll finish Scene 2, and I'm certain get into Scene 3. So until that time, adieu.